great passage of scripture that gives us confidence. God wants us to have confidence in our living. Confidence concerning our eternal living. Where will we be when we die? Do you have confidence? And when you pray, do you have confidence you will be heard? And the prayers will be answered. God wants us to have confidence in both of those things. And the answer is found right here. Let's open uh, God's word. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. Hear it now. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this, is, this life is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything... According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Strong emphasis in that passage on knowing. God wants us to know certain things. It reminded me of my uh, first uh, classroom experience in philosophy in college. Um, I had as a philosophy professor, Dr. Gordon Clark famous philosopher of the last century, and um, he started the class with one question. We, we're all in there on time, and he kind of comes in one minute late intentionally, I think, to, uh, so that we're just sitting at attention, ready for what he's going to say. Gets up to the front, sits down, just quietly, and at some point looks up at us and says, what do you know? And we sat there like, uh, is that a question? Is that a greeting? You know. And then after a while, he asked it again. What do you know? And we sat there. Then the third time, he asked, what do you know? And someone said, well, I know my name. And he said, how do you know? How do you know that's your name? How do you know your parents didn't lie to you? How do you know you didn't hit your head on a rock and you just picked a name when you woke up and it's not really your name? What do you know? So we sat there again. And then finally somebody said, well, I know I'm sitting in a chair. How do you know? Well, because I can see it and I can feel it. He says, well, what you see... In so many cultures, they just consider it a group of sticks crudely put together. And what you feel, how do you know it's not the hardness of your own rear end? How do you know you didn't have a dream? And in your dream, you dreamed of this thing you call a chair and that you're really just in a dream right now. How do you know you're not hallucinating? And we struggled with the rest of the hour with knowledge. What do we really, really know? And not only did we struggle with it in that hour, we actually struggled with it for the rest of the semester. Our uh, textbook was called Thales to Dewey, which he had written. And it was a survey through all the famous philosophers up to Dewey and their struggle with knowledge. What is it we really know? And if you take as a framework for knowledge that to know something you must experience, it's called empirical knowledge. Knowledge derived from experience, 
experimentation or observation, which is where most people come from. I know it because I see it, I observe it, I've experimented with it, I experienced it, that's why I know what I know. So you can have that view of knowledge where the book concludes by saying perhaps we have to make a choice. Perhaps we have to choose empirical knowledge which is really skeptical futility because no one can know that way. To say I know through experience alone means I not only have to experience what I experience here in South Carolina, but I have to experience what's on the other side of the globe to make sure what I've experienced is consistent with that experience over there. In other words, I have to experience everything to really know how everything relates to everything, and so I really know what I know. And it's futility because none of us can do that. So either I have to make a choice, he said, between... That, which is futility, or someone outside of this globe who can see everything on this globe and has knowledge of everything, perhaps that person could give me divine revelation. So your choice is futility, or your choice is that God has spoken to us in His Word. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Psalm 19 says, Thy Word, O Lord, is sure. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Thy word is truth, and you can trust it. Either you trust in your own inability to know it all, or you trust, you make a choice to trust that someone does, and that someone is God, and He has chosen to reveal Himself truly in His word making foolish the wisdom of the world, making true His Word to us. That God wants to give us knowledge. He wants to give us knowledge in our salvation, and He wants to give us knowledge in our supplication. In 1 John 5, 11 through 13, we live in a time where people want us to Know that we're going to have a good job. Know that we're going to have a good life. Know that we're going to make it all right. I want to take this a step beyond that. God says, no, I want you to know that you will live eternally. And I want you to know when you pray that you're going to be heard. And your prayers are going to be answered. Wow. What a God we serve to give us that kind of confidence. We can wake up in the mornings and we're not just, oh, I, I don't know much. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I don't know if I pray that anybody ever really hears. God said, 
Let's take that off the table. I want you to know you have life and you have life eternal. And I want you to know when you pray, you get answers. So let's look at those two things unpacked for us here that makes a difference in every day you and I live. First of all, confidence in salvation. And just to set the stage, he says, I'm writing to believers. Non-believers, your need is to believe. As many as believe in Him, He gives the right to be sons of God. And through becoming sons of God, we get privileges. And this is one of the privileges. He says in verse 13, I write these things. So the things He's talking about, He says, I'm writing it to believers, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Many people dream of some existence beyond this, but they don't know what to do with it. I, I saw an article last week. Uh, somebody was asking, uh, two actors, uh, Schwarzenegger and DeVita. And I guess there's something they're currently playing in about death or life or something. And DeVito's in this interview says, what do you think about it? And Schwarzenegger says, there's no life after death. Not, not physical life. He said, that's a fantasy. We just can't know that. Now he said, I, I know we have a soul. There's something going to happen there. But I, I don't know what that is. But it, he says, I know the body goes to the ground. It's, it's wasted. It's done. And he just didn't offer much hope. As you were listening to uh, these actors talk. God says, I want to give you more than that. If, if you were to go into a hospital, their job as best they can handle it is to sustain your life. And so in sustaining your life, they're always checking for vital signs. And, you know, the, the vital signs where they're checking for blood pressure, or they're checking your pulse, um, they check your temperature, they check your heart rate. So they're always checking these things because they, they don't want you not to live what if we could know the vital signs of eternal life? And we could check those vital signs and say, whoa, I exist not only temporally, but I exist eternally. And I think that's what God's really unpacking for us is the ability to know right now, not just in the future, but the ability to know that we have the vital signs for eternal life. And the way he does that for us is through this phrase, these things. I write these things. So it's crucial that we, we kind of go back and say, well, what were those things again? Because those things are, have been written for us who believe so that we will know. So let's go back and, and look at the, these things that, that Christ has given us because just as we have kind of four vital signs that the medical staff looks at to check our physical existence. There are four things here that he mentions that help us to say, well, do I have that? Because if I have that, then I know that I have the vital signs of eternity in me. I have the ability to have confidence. Number one, um, first thing is a trust in Christ. Let's look at uh, verses 6 through 8 again. Chapter 5, because chapter 5 starts, flows down to verse 13, and he says, now these things, these things I've been talking about. So let's go back and look at them. 
chapter 5, verse 6 says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Now we looked at uh, that uh, and when we looked at it, you know, there's three testimonies, and all three are just strong proclamations from heaven that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The first being the crucifixion, the uh, excuse me, the, the baptism of Christ, the blood, the water, crucifixion being the blood, and then the Spirit being the Holy Spirit. And when Christ was at his baptism and was anointed to be our priest and begin his ministry, the heavens open up and God speaks and he says, this is my son. Listen, this is my son. This is the son of God. This is the one who's come to give you himself, to speak his word. This is the word of God made flesh as a revelation to you. Listen to him. Do you trust him? When he says, my word is truth, John 17, 17. We need to trust Christ. We are, he's writing to believers. He says, but believers, do you really trust Christ? Did you hear what happened at his baptism? Did you hear what happened at his crucifixion? Even the centurion standing there besides as he sees the world go dark, as he sees rocks or hears rocks split, as he feels the earthquake and everything shake around him. Again, he cries out. He, he's the one who speaks and says, this must be the Son of God. All of the signs point to the shedding of his blood as a sacrifice for sin for his people. Do you notice it? And then the Holy Spirit constantly from his birth all the way through Scripture at miracle after miracle, signs and wonders to demonstrate that Christ is the Son of God. Trust it. This is the confidence that we have, that we begin to believe, we begin to trust Christ. Everybody doesn't do that. If you're a believer, trust that faith has been given to you as a gift. Your salvation is not by works, it's by faith. And faith is a gift so that you don't think you work for it. So use that faith. That gift that you've been given, exercise it. Because just in the exercising of that gift, you're demonstrating, hey, I've got a, an eternal sign. I've been given this thing called faith, a belief in Christ that the world does not have. What a, what a gift. And it's a vital sign of eternal life that it was given me to trust Christ. Do you trust Christ? Second thing as we look at it is the second thing is a threefold love that's flowing out. So once we trust Christ, out from us flows a love for three things we didn't have. Go back chapter 5 beginning verse 1. Everyone who believes, so we've got the faith now. We're exercising the faith. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of God. So this, through this faith, you end up loving God. You have a love for God, love for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then you also have a love for everyone who is born of God, the family of God, the church. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Third thing, we have a love for obeying His commandments. That's not something we had before. But now it becomes our love language. How can we respond to you who has redeemed us? Give us some God. Give us some direction. And He gives us the Ten Commandments to guide us in our response and our love for Him. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. So you see how it works out there. We're overcomers. We have another vital sign of eternal life. Not only do we have faith and we use it to trust Christ, but through believing in Him, we've gained love. And we love because God first loved us, and the way we express our love is first back to God in Christ through the Spirit. And then it's a love for the people He died for, those that He gave new life to, those that are called adopted sons and daughters, those who are born of God. We love the church. And then third, we love the commands that God has given us. Genuine believers, this is never imitated by the world. You will never find a non-Christian that will usually, man, they have such passion to love Christ. They have such passion to love His church. And they have such passion to love God's commands. That threefold love flows out of those who are born of God. It's a vital sign of those who are going to be with God in heaven and be with His church, be with His family. We're going to be together with those people who love God, love one another, His church, and love His commands. So again, he says, I want you to know this. These are the things that are going to give you confidence. You have a Faith the world does not have. Those who are not existing eternally with me. You have a love the world cannot imitate. It's the love that God gives to His church, His children. Um, third, we possess the Holy Spirit. So the third thing is this possession within us of the Spirit Himself. Look at verse 10. It says, whoever believes... Again, going back to that, the first thing. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Something within us. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. Everyone who is born of God is given the Spirit. The Spirit comes into us. We're born again by the Spirit. The Spirit comes into us. Look at another example of that. Romans 8, 13 through 16. Romans 8, beginning at verse 13, says, For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death 
the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So all the sons, all the family of God, we are led now by the Spirit. We can walk by the Spirit. We hear the Spirit. We feel the Spirit. We know the Spirit. The Spirit's working within us. And what's it doing? Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, there's two things that, two actions that um, are describing us in that passage. The Spirit of God is leading those who, number one, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let's just say it simply. If you have the Spirit within you, you say no to sin. You put to death deeds of the flesh. Now, you didn't do that before the Spirit. The Spirit gives you power. The Spirit leads you, directs you according to the commands of God so that you can put to death deeds of the flesh. You can mortify sin. You can say no to sin. Second thing, it mentions that here in this passage that the Spirit does is by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. We pray. And we pray in personal, intimate terms with God. So we're saying no to sin. We're saying yes to Jesus. And that's because we possess the Spirit. The Spirit is giving us a power and ability we didn't have. A power and ability to say no to sin. Have you ever been, remember the days when you were caught in sin? And you just, I just can't, I just can't, I can't quit. I, I don't know. I just don't have the power over it. You need to be born again with power from on high. Jesus told the disciples, he says, don't you dare go out in the ministry into the world till, till you receive power from on high. Wait until the Spirit is your possession. And once you have the Spirit, you'll be able to say no to sin. And you'll be able to say yes to Christ. Christ will lead you. That's what the Spirit does. That, that gives birth to songs like people say, how do you know you live? How do you know you're going to heaven? So I know I live because Christ is in my heart. If you ask me how I know I live, I live because he's, he's in me. I possess something I didn't possess. And that's the Spirit of God within me. He, and I don't know how I, I got this ability now, but... I have an ability to read the Bible and understand. I have the, the ability to say no to sin and yes to God when I read it. And that's something the Spirit's doing in me. It's a vital sign of eternal life. You have a trust in Christ. You have a threefold love you didn't have before. And you have this powerful person of God within you. That never leaves you, never forsakes you, and gives you power. The world doesn't have that power. It's not imitatable. It's something God gives to believers. These things, he says, are for believers. And they're glorious. Because they change us. That's why we're radically different 
from the rest of the world is because we have a power now within us that wants to kill sin. Whereas the rest of the world wants to enjoy the pleasures of sin. We say we realize those pleasures are there, but we want to say no to that because there are far greater pleasures in knowing Christ and living consistent with His Word. Fourth thing, not only we possess the Spirit, but there's a union with Christ Himself. Second person of the Trinity, Christ who died on the cross. There's, there's a union with Him that's undeniable. Uh, he mentions that verses 11 through uh, 13, you're seeing it. I, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. This life is the confidence that we have towards Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So it, it's just a reference over and over that we are connected to Christ. But the, the, one of the best illustrations of that is the one Jesus gives Himself. Um, and you know it. Look at John chapter 15. The illustration there of this union we have in Him, with Him, is um, described for us like the relationship between a vine and its branches. And Jesus says that's, that's how our union works. John chapter 15, the first five verses. He says, I'm the true vine. So to get the illustration, see, Christ is the vine. My Father, Creator, heaven and earth, vine dresser, taking care of the vineyard. I'm the true vine. Every branch in me, so there are branches grafted into the vine. If it does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it can bear even more fruit. Already you're clean, but because of the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everyone doesn't have Christ as their vine. They've been cut off. And it's a description of the judgment day where all who are unbelievers are gathered like sticks and thrown into uh, hellish fire that burns for an eternity. But those that are grafted into the vine we're afflicted, we're pruned, whatever, but we stay united to the vine. We begin to live for Christ and produce fruit for Christ. And that's something we know. That we're united to Christ. That's another vital sign. And we know it because we're bearing fruit. Our life is different because of it. doesn't mean our afflictions are different. There's pruning. There's affliction that God puts on us. But it's to take us through fires here that bear fruit in our life that just constantly screams to us, this is happening because we're united to Christ. And Christ is bearing fruit through us. God wants us to see our union to Christ. And our union to Christ changes us. It matters. Um, when you look at the four things... The takeaway for me is confidence. God wants us to know. 
said, I've given you these things so that you know. You have eternal life. Go talk to your non-Christian neighbor or family member. They don't have these things. They don't know this eternal life. He said, I want you to know it, you believer. Don't walk around without confidence. Don't struggle with this thing because these things were given to you so that you can know them. And he wants us to live with confidence. He doesn't want us to walk around in darkness. We have an eternal existence in the heavens. So easy we can go through dark times and just start to doubt. I wonder what would happen if I died tonight. I wonder what would happen if I didn't make it home. Somebody hit me head on. God says, I, I don't want you to not know. You will have eternal life. There are signs right now in your life that point to that. And it's not because you worked and earned something. It's because I gave you faith to trust. I gave you a new heart, a love through that heart for unnatural stuff like commands and church and Christ. I gave you my spirit. I put my spirit within you to always be with you. And I united you to the source of life. Christ says, I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly now and forever. He says, these things have been given so that you may know. So I don't only want you to know about eternal life. I want you to know about your prayers and that your prayers are answered when you pray. So then he moves to that. Does, does prayer change anything for you? Are you seeing prayer um, effective in your life? This is the confidence, verse 14, that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. We have them that we have asked from him. Prayer should change. Why? God listens. He listens to certain prayers. He, quite frankly, judges some prayers to be foolish and vain and worthless. But other prayers he listens to and says, yep, going to answer that. How do we get the confidence of that? The phrase there in verse 14 is, if we ask anything, here's the key phrase, according to his will, he hears us. So you need to evaluate. Don't be lazy. Evaluate your prayers. Are your prayers according to his will? Well, you already have a love for his commands, and you've, you're meditating on his commands, so you, that is the will of God. And so as you meditate on that, you, you ask, is, is what I'm praying, is it according to the commands? Is it according to God's will? What he wants me, others, to do? Uh, is it according to his will? Because if it's according to his will, he hears us. Whatever we ask. Notice that. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request. Whatever we ask, according to his will, he hears us. Uh, he says that similarly, if you want another place, uh, John chapter 15, verse uh, 7, I believe. 
going back there where we, we were just a minute ago. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, yeah, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. That's pretty strong. Whatever you want to pray, ask it. If you abide in my will, my will abides in you. In other words, if you're asking according to that will, whatever you ask, it will be done. We're not a people who don't see God answer prayer. Because if we pray rightly, He promises it gets answered. The key is us evaluating our prayers so that they are in connection with what God wants. Um, then we can pray whatever we want, as long as it's what He wants. Uh, you say, well, that kind of limits our prayers, doesn't it? I don't really think so. I've thought about that for a while. Um, think about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom come on earth. How big is the kingdom? It's bigger than the earth. Pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying according to God's will, and this will is bigger than earth. It's as big as heaven, and we want that here. I don't think that limits my prayers. My prayers can be as big as heaven. There can be as grand as the kingdom of God. I've just got to see that they're consistent with the will of God. They're, they don't have to be small prayers by any stretch. It can be huge. And God says, if you ask according to my will, you're abiding in my will and asking according to my will, he says, those prayers will be answered. Illustrate it this way. Suppose a uh, man gets up, goes to the breakfast table, he's got a family. And as soon as he gets to the breakfast table, he starts scrolling through his, his phone or his laptop. People are asking questions. Family's asking questions. But, uh, you know, he's not looking up. Phone, laptop, working. Goes to work, comes home. Same thing happens again. Pops down in a recliner, gets on his phone, turns on television, whatever. He's scrolling. And you say, it's impossible to talk to this man. He never listens. He's always on his phone. He's always on the computer. He's always on the TV. Question, the problem is, it's not impossible. You're just not talking according to what he wants. Let's just hypothetically say he likes sports. Ask him a question about his sport. What? What do you say? Got his attention, right? Let's say he likes stocks. Ask him a question about the stock market. What? What did you say? You got his attention. Why? Because you're asking according to what he wants. What he likes. Suppose we asked questions that our Heavenly Father likes and wants. God, can you help me understand this text? It's confusing. I want to know your word. God, could you help me know you more intimately? Could you grow me to be 
more like Christ? Could you destroy this feeling in me for this sin I've grown to abhor? Could, could you destroy that feeling to, to want to still do it when I know I shouldn't? Can you grant me a boldness to stand up for you at school, but to do it in love and kindness and gentleness so people saw Jesus and not my foolishness? God, could you, could, could you create revival in a town that just seems to be religious? Would it matter if, if we expanded, if it was about our mission more than about our manners? God, what would you do if, if I were always meditating on your word day and night? Could you, could you begin to give me a plan that I know why I'm here? And how that will applies. I mean, ask, ask anything you will want. You start asking what God wants. God says, I'm going to hear you. I'm going to answer. Because that's always been my plan. Is to give you what I want. Because there's no one who knows what you need better than. Your God, your designer, your creator. Ask what he wants. God listens to right request. We just need to stop being lazy and evaluate our request. Is this something that's consistent with the will of God? I remember, again, another college story. Dr. Henry Cromadon was my personal advisor and he invited me to his office at 5.30 in morning, some morning every week and said let's pray and one morning uh, there was four or five of us there and we were praying and he said let's go around the room and give prayer requests. I said okay that sounds good so we all gave a prayer request and he didn't tell us the next question until we got done he said okay I wrote down everybody's prayer request so you can't cheat now let's change it I want to go back around the room and I want everybody to remember your prayer request and I want you to give me a chapter and verse from the Bible why that prayer should be answered. And so we had to search through the scriptures in our minds. Where has God said that request is his will? And as we went through the, the four or five of us again and put down scripture for each request, not saying you have to do that, I'm just saying, now it became in our mind that this is something God wants. And you can't believe the difference in our prayers. Because now we had confidence. What we were asking would be answered. Because God had promised, you ask that, and I'll give it. And we saw answers to our prayers. Because God's true. To his word. You don't have to pray and wonder if God hears. You don't have to pray and not see 
God's work in and through you. Ask whatever you wish, but ask it according to God's word, consistent with his will, and he will grant it. It's sad. So many people have no confidence in eternal life and no confidence in their prayers. God does not want that for his family. doesn't want us walking in darkness, and he doesn't want us walking with doubt. He wants us living with confidence. The confidence, we trust Christ. That's gift. Confidence, we love one another, Christ and his commands. The confidence that we have power from on high, the spirit of God, and the confidence that this union with Christ is never broken. It's pruned, but never broken. And he lives within us. And a confidence that when we commune, he's with us. And he's evaluating our request to see whether they're consistent with his will. What a wonderful life God's given us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we don't grope in the dark.